Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. And chapter number 11 tonight. We'll read a few verses in just a moment and take a look at a story that I think is familiar to us, but some wonderful teaching in John chapter 11 for our lives. In verse number one, the Bible says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. God has not lost his miracle-working power. Aren't you glad for that? I'm glad that God can still do miracles today. I love the verse in Jeremiah chapter 32, Ah, Lord God! Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thy stretched out arm, and there's nothing too hard for thee. God can do the impossible even today. Now, this story opens with a problem. Lazarus, a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ, has has, has become sick. He's ill. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, with whom he lived, sent word to Jesus that his friend Lazarus was sick. Now, they didn't have cell phones. They weren't able to text the Lord or email him quick to see what he would do. They had to send a messenger to wherever Jesus was. I'm sure that as they did so, Mary and Martha thought, wherever Jesus is, whatever he's doing, he will leave and come and minister to our brother. Or maybe they thought, he'll just speak the word and Lazarus will be well. They knew he had power over sickness. They had seen him touch the eyes of the blind, so they were able to see. They knew that Jesus could heal their brother. But the Bible says in verse 6, as we read, that Jesus receives the message. He understands the problem, but he doesn't do anything. He remains in the same place where he was two more days. God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we pray them. If he did, he wouldn't be God. You would. Right? In other words, if every time we prayed a certain way and we got the answer we prayed for, in essence, we would be God. So sometimes God's no in the end, turns out to be a greater yes. We're disappointed at first, as I'm sure Mary and Martha were. They thought he would come. They thought he would respond to their request. They thought he would listen, but he abode still in the same place where he was two days. Sometimes God's no to our prayer later turns out to be a greater yes. Well, Jesus abode still in the same place where he was two days. By the time we get to verse 14, Lazarus is dead. He's passed. And so now, some four days later, Jesus arrives back in Bethany. 
Pick up the story with me in verse 34. And he said, Jesus said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Think of that command. Take ye away the stone. Jesus comes to this grave. It's a cave. They've put the body inside, and they've placed a stone over the entrance and sealed it. And Jesus comes, and he says, take ye away the stone. Now, why didn't Jesus move the stone? He could have moved the stone. He made the stone. He could have said, stone, out of here. I got a miracle I want to do. He moved the stone in his own resurrection, did he not? When they came to that sepulcher early that first day of the week, they saw the stone rolled away and an angel sitting upon it saying, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. In that case, Jesus rolled away his own stone from the grave. Why didn't he move this stone? That was something the people could do. Take ye away the stone. Is there a stone tonight in our life that separates us from a great miracle? Is there a stone in our life that we're unwilling to move in order that God might unleash his great power upon our life or our family or on our church? Could God be wanting to do a great miracle? Could he be wanting to send a great revival? Could God be wanting to answer a prayer tonight if we would just move the stone? As I go back through this passage, I find four miracle-stopping stones in this chapter. Go back to where we left off in the chapter, and let's look at verse number 7. We find the stone of doubt. In verse 7, then after that he saith to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples say to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there's no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit, Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Now, this story takes some twists and turns, doesn't it? Lazarus gets sick. His sister sent word to Jesus, your friend is, is sick. He needs you. And, and Jesus receives the message, but he doesn't do anything. He stays in the same place. Then, after a couple of days, he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Let's go back to Bethany. And the disciples said, are you sure? 
the last time we were down there, they tried to kill you. They tried to stone you. You're going to go back. He said, well, our friend Lazarus is sleeping. I need to go wake him up. Well, now they're thinking, this is crazy. I mean, if someone is sick, the best thing they can do is rest, right? If they can get some sleep, they're well on their way to recovery. And so they're thinking, Lord, we're going to go all the way down there, risk our very lives just to wake a man up. Jesus said, no, you misunderstand. Lazarus is dead. Whoa. Well, look at the response in 16. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. (laughs) You see a little doubt here. You see a little doubt and confusion. You know, when we face a problem, oftentimes our first response to a problem or an obstacle is one of doubt. It's one of fear. Why? Because we look at the problem, we think, there's nothing I can do. These disciples, there was nothing they could do about a dead man. they, They had no resource, no power, no ability to do anything about a problem that was beyond their ability. And so now, they're doubting. Why even go? Why try to participate? There's nothing we can do. And oftentimes we face situations in our life where we think, there's nothing that can be done. I might as well just walk away. I might as well just quit because there's nothing I can do. Doubt. But as we saw last night, God commands us to walk by faith, not by sight. I'm amazed at how many times I hear people in just say to their pastor, Pastor, I just don't see how we're going to do this. Pastor, I just don't see how we could take on another mission. See how we build that building. You know what? You're not supposed to be able to see it. What are we doing when we say, I just don't see? We're walking by sight. We're looking at our resources. We're looking at our ability and we're saying, it can't be done. But God says we faith. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Are we missing some miracles tonight because of the stone of doubt? In Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, Jesus said that he could do not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Isn't that a sad verse? Jesus comes to this location. He wants to do something there, but he says, no, let's move on. There's no faith there. Wouldn't it be a sad thing if God looked at Bible Baptist Church tonight and he said, you know, I'd like to do a great miracle there. I'd like to start a revival there. But no, let's move on. There's no faith. Wouldn't it be sad if God looked at our lives and said, man, I'd like to use that guy. I'd like to use that lady But no, let's move on to somebody else. There's no faith there. My oldest son, college, met a lady named April, and they began to become friends and dated. And as they graduated, they got married and went to serve the Lord as an assistant pastor up in Central California and served there for a couple of years and went into evangelism. And God was putting their lives and using them in ministry, and they were loving every minute of it. After a couple of years of marriage, they had a daughter named Katie, and 
She was our first granddaughter and came into their home. And boy, that was a blessing. That was exciting to have a healthy little girl and, and uh, traveling with them now. And a couple of years later, another little girl, Annie, came along. And boy, God was blessing their lives. God was good to them. And, and they were enjoying things. But then that dreaded word, cancer. Nobody wants to hear that word. Now, surgery, treatments, medicine, and as a result of some good doctors and a lot of faith in God and God's healing power, after a time, April was declared cancer-free. Well, we were thrilled. We were thankful, very, very thankful. But the doctors called John and April in one day and they said, now, as far as we can tell, the cancer has been eradicated and we're glad about that. But some of the medicines that we had to use to kill the cancer have made it impossible for you now to have any more children. Well, that was tough news, but it wasn't the most devastating thing in the world. They had two beautiful little girls. They were very thankful for that. They had wanted to have a little larger family, but at least they had two girls, so it wasn't like the end of the world to them. But they walked out of that office, went home, and they said, Lord, you know the situation medically, scientifically. We're not going to be able to have any more children, but... That's just what the doctors say. That's what science says. You're bigger than that. And if you want to have children, you some science and medicine give us another child. And we're just pray by faith that if it's your will that we have more children, that you would do a miracle. And we, we believe you can. And they prayed like that for several years. And one day, April was pregnant. Whoa. This was exciting. I mean, they had defied the scientific odds. They had beat the medicine, you know, and, and it was exciting. Well, they went to the doctor. He was not excited. He looked at him and said, oh, no, this is not good. The chemicals in your body, the things in your body are not going to allow a healthy pregnancy. You've got to terminate this pregnancy. He said, no, we, we don't want to do that. We're Christians. We've been praying by faith that God would give us a child for his glory. And we want this child. And, and the doctor said, oh, you don't understand. It's going to be born blind. It's going to be born deaf. It's going to have internal problems. It's going to have mental issues. You cannot bring a child like this into the world. Oh, they said, oh, whatever God gives us, we're going to be thankful for. This is an answer to prayer. Well, they brought in special to try to talk them out of this pregnancy, to try to get them to terminate the baby. But they said, no, we're going to trust God. Well, as I said, they were traveling in evangelism in those days, and they were preaching a revival in a little town north of L.A. called Castaic, California. It was Super Bowl Sunday. And, and my son John and April, they're both big football fans. April's a Steelers fan, uh, so that's a problem. But other than that, she's, she's a pretty good person, okay? So, so they were excited about the Super Bowl. But the problem is, as you know, here on the West Coast, the Super Bowl comes on late afternoon, like 3.30, 
and it's, it's, it's right during the evening church. And, and so they were like, oh, too bad we're down on the East Coast preaching where we can watch the whole game. But the pastor, he said, hey, no worries. In our church, everybody's a football fan, so what we do is we tape the game. And we vow to secrecy that if anybody sees a score during church or pops up on your phone after church, we don't tell anybody. We're, we're, we're vowed to secrecy. And after church, we all come over to my house and we watch the game together. And you're welcome to come and do that with us. Oh, they were excited about that. So they went to the, they had the service, went to the pastor's house after, watched the game with the church family, enjoyed. It was an exciting game, and April got excited, maybe a little too excited, because when that game ended, April looked at John, and she said, John, I think the baby's coming. I'm feeling some contractions. Well, the baby wasn't due for several more weeks. And, and John said, are you sure? She said, John, this is just like the girls. I mean, I, I've had contractions before. These feel real. Well, they didn't even know if there was a hospital in Castaic. So they asked the pastor, he said, well, there's one next town over, let's go. They went to the hospital, and sure enough, this baby was on the way. Well, they pulled up the charts, and oh, it's one of these babies. So now the specialists began to come to help deliver this child. And a little baby boy was born that night. They named him John. I call him Third John. <laughs> and John was born prematurely. Hardly weighed three pounds, just a little, little life. And, of course, they began to hook him up to machines and began to run all these tests. And through the night, they ran the tests and tried to figure out what was wrong with this little baby. And finally, the doctor came in, and he said, you know, he said, your little guy's doing pretty good. He's small. He's going to be here for a while, but he's doing pretty good. In fact, he said, the only thing that we have found wrong with him at this point is that he's deaf. We've given him the hearing test, and we do it three times to be sure that we're right, and he's failed it all three times. And he said, really, I know that's, that's hard, but he said, compared to what could have been, this is a miracle. Well, it was. But John looked at that doctor whom he had never met before in his life, and he said, sir, could you do that hearing test again? The doctor said, no, we, we don't do it again. We do it three times, and your baby has failed it all three times, but it's okay. And John said, I, I get it. I understand that. But he said, we're Christians, and we've been praying that God, for his glory, would give us a perfectly healthy child. Could you do the test again? The doctor said, I don't have insurance. I don't know how you're going to pay for the first three tests. You want to do another one? John said, don't worry about that. Just do the test again, please. Well, the doctor kind of left the room shaking his head, and John went outside as he tells the story and walked around the hospital and prayed. He just claimed God's promises and said, God, for your glory, would you allow my son to be able to hear? He picked up a rock out of one of the flower beds. Actually, he stole it. It's in his office now. But... <laughs> He picked up a stone, kind of symbolic, I guess, of God's creative power. And he said, God, you made this rock, and you made my son, and you can cause my son to be able to hear. Well, he went back in the hospital after a while, and pretty soon the doctor came in. He was kind of shaking his head. He said, you know, I did that test again. In fact, he said, I did it three more times because I couldn't believe the result. He said, your son's hearing is fine. 
You know, John is 12 years old now. He's still a little guy. He wants to be the world's first ninja evangelist. Uh, I have no doubt about the ninja part. The evangelist part we're working on. But, but John's, a, John's a, a great kid. He loves baseball, and, and uh, he's an intelligent little guy. And you know what? His hearing is fine. When that kid wants to hear you, he hears just fine. Now, what am I saying? I'm just saying, are we missing some miracles because of the stone of doubt? Do we believe that God can do all things and even impossible things? Or do we have doubts about that? Jesus said, I'm glad you weren't there to the intent you might learn how to believe. You might learn something about faith, the stone of doubt. But notice, secondly, the stone of disappointment. Let's pick up our story in verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord... If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now just kind of picture this in your mind. Jesus approaches the town. Mary and Martha get word that Jesus is coming. So Mary, true to her personality, I suppose, stayed in the house to wait. But Martha, being a little more impetuous, she runs out to meet Jesus. And as she comes to Jesus, she falls down before him and says, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you had here, if you had come when we asked you, if you had responded when we sent her, would not have died. She's, she's venting, right? I mean, she's frustrated. She doesn't understand. Now drop your eyes down to verse 32. Because now Martha has gone back to the house and Mary comes out to meet Jesus. Verse 32, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. You realize those are the exact same words. Martha goes out, she vents, she's frustrated. If, if, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. She goes back, tells Mary, hey, the Lord's come, he wants to see you. So Mary, Martha's house, Mary goes out and says the exact same thing. You know what that tells me? That had been the topic of conversation for the last four days. Where was he? We called. We asked. We believed. What's up with this? They're disappointed. I'm talking to people tonight in this room. You have no doubt that the miracles recorded in the Bible actually happened. I dare say there are very few in this room tonight that do not believe that God parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could cross on dry land. You believe that. You know why you believe it? Because it's in the Bible. And it's a miracle that's recorded by God in his word, and we know his word is true. We know that God doesn't lie. So therefore, we believe that. Okay? I'm talking to people in this room that believe that Jesus walked on water. I'm talking to people in this room that believe 
believe that Jesus took five loaves and two small fishes one day and blessed them and broke them and distributed those pieces of bread and fish and fed 5,000 men plus the women and children and they were all full and when they got full, they gathered up the leftovers and had 12 baskets left over. You believe that happened? Because again, it's in the Bible. And you know what? There are people here tonight and you've listened to people in this auditorium right here Stand up, maybe on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, and give a testimony of an answer to prayer. You've seen God do some modern-day miracles. He's provided a job. He's healed someone who is ill. He's helped someone with a relationship. You've seen God do some miracles. You believe that God can do those. But for some reason, He hasn't answered your prayer. You believed. You trusted. You had faith. And God said no. And when that happens, it leaves us disappointed. Do you remember in the Old Testament a man by the name of Job? Job was the greatest man in the East, chapter 1 tells us. He was great for a couple of reasons. Number one, he was great materially, financially. It lists all of his camels and sheep and thousands of, of, of things that he had materially. But he was also great spiritually. He was a man that feared God, eschewed evil. He was a man that was blessed by God with ten children and a wife. Here was a man that, that, that gave sacrifices every morning according to the number of his children. Here was a man that was great in every way. But one day, I mean almost that fast, God just pulls the rug out from under him. I mean, word comes that suddenly all of his possessions are gone. His sheep, his camels, his she-asses, they've been stolen and taken away and the servants are killed or, or taken captive. He no more than kind of uh, evaluates that thing. And, and here comes another messenger that says, all of your children, all ten, were in a house. And, and a whirlwind came by, a tornado we would call today, and, 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 and destroyed the house and they're all dead. He's lost all of his material wealth. He's lost now all of his children. Then we read a little further in Job and he gets sick for his entire body. He's in horror supposedly come and they're going to try to encourage him but instead they accuse him of being backslidden. Job this is your fault God's judging you. Then his own wife says Job just curse God and die. I mean this poor guy I mean just like that. But Job 13 verse 15 Job said though he slay yet will I trust in him. I will maintain my own ways before the Lord. Did you catch the last part of that verse? He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I will maintain my own ways before the Lord. You know what happens to us when disappointment comes? We quit. I hear people say to their pastor, well, pastor, I'd be here tomorrow, but we're kind of going through it right now. You know, when you're kind of going through it right now, it's a good time to be in church. But see, we just do the opposite. 
we, we, we come to a little struggle, we, something we don't understand, God isn't answering prayer the way we prayed it, something goes wrong in our life, and right away we want to quit church. We want to stop uh, witnessing. We want to stop tithing. We want to stop reading our Bible. We don't want to do anything anymore for God because we're disappointed. By the way, I have 12 grandchildren. My youngest grandson, who was born 11 months ago, is Down syndrome. Now, we prayed for Logan to be healthy. We, we, we prayed that Logan would, would come into this world normal, just like the other 11. So now, now what do we do? Listen, God has great plans. God's designed him uniquely. No, we wouldn't design him that way. But God designed him exactly how he wants him. And my youngest son, Eric, they travel with their two boys, with Logan, all over this country, preaching revivals. And you know what? Wherever they go, everybody wants to see Logan. Everybody wants to hold Logan. People come back the next night. They want to see Logan. God's using that little boy. To reach people. God's used him in his mom and dad's life, in my life, in many lives. Listen, when God kind of throws a curveball in our life, don't quit. Yeah, we're disappointed because we don't understand it all yet. We, we can't connect all the dots yet. But let God have his way. Here's the stone of doubt, the stone of disappointment. But then thirdly, I see the stone of dishonor. The stone of dishonor. In verse 39, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith to him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he's been dead four days. When Jesus gets to this scene, he comes to this grave, this cave, and he says, Take ye away the stone. And immediately Martha responds, Lord, oh, whoa, wait, wait, Lord, don't, don't, don't. There four days. In Bible days, they didn't have the ability the body like we know it today. When someone passes today, we can preserve the body and have the funeral a week from now or two weeks from now. In cases of autopsies, we can keep the body, preserve the body for months to determine the, the, the point of death. But not here. When someone died in the Bible, they had to bury them quickly. Usually the same day. If they very next morning, they would put them in the sepulcher, put them in the grave. Why? Because of the corruption process that would begin. Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's been in this cave. And when Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha's thinking, oh, no, Lord, this isn't going to look good. This isn't going to smell good. And all of our friends have come to comfort us concerning our brother. Lord, you're going to embarrass us. Can I remind you that Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God? We didn't read it, but when when when. Martha came out to meet Jesus and was disappointed. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. But see, all those promises his life are going right overhead. You know why? Because Martha's concerned about Martha. 
She's not thinking about the glory of God. She's thinking about, what does this do for me? How does this make me look? You know, if we're not careful, we love the praise of men more than the praise of God, don't we? We, 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 we can start thinking about us rather than the glory of God. And it can happen to some of the best. I think of Peter. Peter was the first apostle to understand that the gospel was to be taken to the Gentile world. Uh, up until Acts chapter 10, when they preached the gospel, they thought it was just for the Jews. But in Acts chapter 10, Peter sees this vision. Remember the, 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 the sheet coming down out of heaven? And he sees these animals, and Peter says, oh, those are clean. We can eat those. Oh, those are unclean. Can't eat those. And through that vision, the Lord explains to Peter, call nothing unclean. I want all people to be saved. And through that, he, he teaches Peter, take the gospel to the Gentiles. So now Peter begins preaching to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are getting saved. They're getting saved by faith, same way the Jews got saved. That's the only way you can get saved, by faith. Well, one night, Peter is fellowshipping with some of the Gentiles that have gotten saved. And into the restaurant, or wherever they were, came some Jews. And Peter immediately gets up from the table, and he runs over, and he sits with the, with the circumcised fear of what they would say if they saw him associating with the uncircumcised. And in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11, when Peter was come to Antioch, Paul says, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Words, Paul said, Peter, come on. You knew that God wanted us to preach to the Gentiles. You of all people knew that. You were the one that heard it first. And yet, Peter, you got concerned about Peter. How many times do we get concerned about me? We get concerned about praying in a restaurant because somebody might, might snicker or somebody might laugh. We're, we're times to witness to people because of what they might say to us. They might get mad at us. And we're missing miracles today because of the stone of dishonor. How can you believe which seek honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? But then we see a final stone, the stone of doubt, the stone of disappointment, the stone of dishonor, but finally the stone of delay. In verse 39, Jesus said, take ye away the stone in verse 41, then they, we don't know who, but apparently more than one, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, them, loose him and let him go. Can you picture yourself here at this grave? They're looking at this stone on the covering of this cave. They know that Lazarus is behind that stone, past. And Jesus says, take you away the stone. He's not talking to me. I don't know anything about moving stones. I mean, I'd make a mess of it. I, I've never been trained to move a stone. <laughs> well, I think we ought to get a permit. I mean, you can't just be moving stuff around. 
here. We better get a permit to move a stone. We might kill some little animals here. Another guy says, well, I think we ought to form a committee, figure out how this should be done. No, somebody obeyed the command. They moved the stone. You know what? Your, your pastor and pastor, they get up week after week and they preach to us the word of God. And the truth is, we know what God is saying in our heart. But oftentimes, the stone of delay we say, yeah, I know that's true. And, and one of these days, I'll get to that. Listen carefully. The devil does not care what you do as long as you don't do it today. But when God speaks in his word, he always speaks in the present tense. God never says, get saved soon. God never says, get saved someday. He says, today is the day of salvation. Remember, now, thy creator, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart. See, the message of God is always in the present tense. Just respond now. The devil says, oh, wait for a minute. Wait for another time. Wait when it's easier, more convenient season. There was a man named Felix who told Paul, as he trembled under the conviction of Paul's message, he said, when I have a more convenient season, I'll call for thee. And you can search the rest of the Bible. You never hear of Felix again. Apparently, that convenient season never came. May I say to you tonight, don't put off what God is doing in your heart. You say, well, I'll have another chance. Listen, we don't know what a day may bring forth. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. What is your life? It's even a vapor. It appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. David said, there's but a step between me and death. We may be a lot closer to meeting God than we realize. And we learned this week, death is no respecter of persons. Death doesn't say, well, you're old enough now to die. No, death is imminent for all of us. The coming of Christ is imminent at any moment. We need to prepare to meet God. Life is our opportunity to prepare to meet God. And God has given us a special opportunity on a Saturday night in a revival meeting to do business with him. We dare not delay. Is there a stone keeping us from a miracle? Let's move it tonight. Let's do what we can do to move the doubt, move the disappointment, move the disappointment, move the delay. Watch what God can do. Only God could have brought Lazarus out of that. But we can move the stone that's keeping him there.